Hi, I'm Bill Wiley. I'm Stephen Dell. And I'm Rob Weinstock. And we're the co-chief medical editors of Cataract and Refractive Surgery Today. Hey guys, just as you're likely back in the swing of things in your practices after the COVID shutdown, we're settling into a routine here at CRST, the podcast. As a reminder, I'm Laura Straub, Editor-in-Chief of CRST. And in each episode, we'll hand select a few articles from the current issue to share with you on the go. I hope you're enjoying the content thus far. This week, we'll listen in as some of the contributors from the August issue of CRST talk about increasing premium IOL adoption after the pandemic and about the importance of dry eye disease management. Let's get to it. First, we'll hear from Quentin B. Allen, MD, from the Florida Vision Institute, who prompts you to ask yourself, are you a because of or in spite of surgeon when it comes to premium IOL adoption? After practicing for 20 years, I've come to realize a few things about the premium IOL side of cataract surgery. There are many different types of surgeons and types of practices. There are many levers in a practice that help to turn the wheel of patients' adoption of premium services. Discussing all of them would require a series of articles, not just one. In this article, I aim to focus on introspective self-analysis by the cataract surgeon, honestly evaluating his or her role in the premium IOL surgical practice. The first question every surgeon should ask himself or herself is, do I really want to do more premium cataract surgery? Most surgeons will say yes, but some are genuinely and perfectly content performing a low percentage of premium cataract cases. Let's be honest, premium IOLs take more time and they require a higher bar of success on our OR days. Further, premium patients are in general more demanding. On the other hand, the benefits are obvious. Achieving higher reimbursement, being perceived as a progressive, specialized, capable cataract surgeon by patients and colleagues, and elevating oneself into the realm of true refractive cataract surgery. In the world of COVID-19, clinics are experiencing reduced profitability for many reasons. We have higher rates of cancellations and no-shows because patients are unwilling or reluctant to attend their visits or schedule surgery. Additionally, economic considerations now prevent some patients from upgrading to premium services. Our referring doctors are experiencing the same things. Therefore, referrals may be down. These are just a few of the headwinds ophthalmologists face in maintaining economic viability. In this challenging environment, Many surgeons are hoping to increase their premium IOL adoption rates to try to recoup some of the losses we have experienced. This is where some self-analysis can be helpful. Are you a because of or an in spite of surgeon? Let me explain what I mean by that. Are you the only reason that your practice does any premium lenses at all? Do you vigorously counsel your patients and educate them about astigmatism and the value of toric IOLs? only to be undermined by surgical schedulers who don't see the value and feel guilty asking patients for out-of-pocket payment to elevate their outcomes? Do your technicians reinforce your message to patients about the value of IOLs that can reduce their need for reading glasses? Or are you the sole champion of this message in your practice? The latter scenario can frequently be seen in academic settings or large multi-specialty practices. If you're the lone champion, then you are to be commended for every patient who chooses advanced technology in your practice, this is truly happening because of the surgeon's efforts, despite resistance elsewhere in the practice. In such a practice, there is certainly room for growth, but it will require crucial conversations with key staff members and administrators. 
They need to support your message, not stifle it. Conversely, are you a surgeon who is doing a reasonable number of premium procedures, but you never mention technology and don't make strong recommendations for a certain type of vision correction, whether it be monovision, femtosecond laser, toric IOL, presbyopia IOL, during your patient consults? With the many options available today, this makes the job of the surgical counselor additionally challenging without having direction from the surgeon. Are you a surgeon who takes time to educate staff about new technology? One who discusses the amazing success stories of patients with presbyopia correction in your practice on your post-operative follow-up days? Or is it the staff members and counselors around you who are having these discussions, handing out brochures, and showing patients educational videos? The in spite of surgeon likely has a support structure of education and follow-through in the practice. Patients are well-informed and decide to choose an advanced technology IOL, even though their surgeon essentially does not discuss premium options at all. These surgeons may have some degree of success performing a modest number of premium procedures, despite their laissez-faire approach to counseling and education. In this setting, there is much room for growth, but only if the surgeon commits to initiating more intentional discussion about premium cataract surgical options and making confident recommendations for advanced technology IOLs. So are you a because of or an in spite of surgeon? Or a little bit of both? The first step toward increasing your premium cataract procedures is to assess where the resistance is in your practice. Is it around you? Or does it start with you? Only after answering this question can you address the process of moving the needle toward higher adoption rates for premium IOL technology in your practice. Thanks, Dr. Allen. Now after that thought-provoking topic, we are going to segue into a discussion on dry eye disease. Ever wonder the benefits of dry eye disease management on patient care and business success? From understanding the condition to preoperative considerations and cutting-edge treatments and management strategies, the August issue covers it all. We've selected two articles from the series to showcase here. The first is by Ashley Brissett, MD, MSC, FRCSC, Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at Wheel Cornell Medicine. Her article tackles the topic of IOL selection in patients with dry eye disease. Dr. Brissett, take it away. Dry eye disease is a common condition that, left untreated, can have negative effects on postoperative outcomes of cataract surgery. It is well known that dry eye disease can lead to improper measurements for intraocular lens selection, therefore affecting postoperative refractive outcomes. Additionally, dry eye disease can affect comfort of the eye, quality of vision, both which negatively impact a patient's perception of the success of surgery. This article explores five tips for successful IOL selection in patients with dry eye disease. Number one, the signs and symptoms don't correlate. Signs and symptoms of dry eye disease are not well correlated. We have all seen patients who report severe dry eye disease, but show few clinical signs, or the reverse, patients who have significant corneal staining, but are asymptomatic. This creates a paradox for surgeons. How do we talk about dry eye disease with our surgical patients, especially when they're not symptomatic? It's important to notice that one of the main symptoms of dry eye disease is blurry, fluctuating vision. This should be distinguished from blurry vision due to cataract because if ocular surface disease persists after cataract surgery, the patient may still have impaired visual quality and function. 
In my practice, I have adopted a systematic approach to cataract surgery assessment. During the initial workup, all patients are asked direct questions regarding symptoms of dry eye disease. I also have technicians employ point-of-care diagnostic testing for dry eye, mainly matrix metalloprotease 9 and tear osmolarity. These tests provide objective metrics that both the patient and myself can follow to monitor response to treatment. A multicenter study found that 85% of asymptomatic patients had an abnormal result for at least one of these objective tests, indicating that there is a high level of asymptomatic ocular surface disease in the cataract surgery population. Next, I perform the clinical examination and vital dye tests to assess tear breakup time and corneal staining. Aside from dry eye disease, there are other ocular surface conditions that are important to look for. These include meibomian gland dysfunction, a frequent contributor to dry eye disease, blepharitis, which can increase the risk of endophthalmitis, epithelial basement membrane dystrophy, which may contribute to irregular astigmatism, and lag ophthalmos and other lid position disorders that may affect the ocular surface. Number two, ocular surface disease will affect the refractive outcome of surgery. The measures just described may sound labor-intensive or time-consuming, but I can assure you that they are worth their weight in gold when it comes to surgical outcomes. Optimizing the ocular surface is imperative for excellent refractive outcomes and patient satisfaction. Dry eye disease can impair IOL selection through its impact on keratometry values and measurements of magnitude and axis of astigmatism. Surgeons need good information going in, biometry and topographic readings, in order to have good information coming out, IOL selection, and access of astigmatism. As cataract surgery technology has improved over the years, so have our outcomes, and so have the expectations of our patients for excellent vision after surgery. A healthy ocular surface is just as important to lens selection as the other biometric measures that we are constantly striving to optimize. Number three, treat dry eye disease aggressively before scheduling surgery. Classical dry eye disease treatment is often described as a stepwise approach to therapy, starting with over-the-counter artificial tears and then moving to prescription therapies if needed later in the treatment course. However, when we are treating preoperative patients with dry eye disease, it is important to rapidly reverse their ocular surface dysfunction and restore homeostasis to ensure stability for measurements. To achieve this, it's beneficial to employ multiple therapies at once. I like to complement the basics such as artificial tears, warm compresses, and lid care with prescription dry disease therapies. For example, rapid reversal of corneal staining can be achieved with a short course of topical steroid. I prefer to dose twice a day for two weeks, concomitant with a long-term dry eye disease therapy such as Restasis, Sequa, or Zydra. For severe dry eye disease, in-office procedures can be beneficial, including punctal plugs and treatment of meibomian glands with thermal pulsation or microblepharoexfoliation. The latter is especially beneficial in blepharitis. Number four, proceed with surgery only when measurements are stable. The best recommendation for IOL selection can be made once the measurements are stable. After diagnosing and aggressively treating the ocular surface, I recommend repeating your clinical examination as well as biometry and or topography to ensure the stability of measurements. Once the magnitude and axis of cylinder and even the intraocular lens power selection will have changed. 
Once the surface has stabilized, I have no problem recommending a premium IOL, whether toric or diffractive multifocal. In patients with persistent or severe ocular surface concerns, I am more hesitant to recommend a diffractive lens. One study found that the main reason for dissatisfaction after implantation of diffractive IOLs was dry eye disease. It is important, therefore, to discuss this potential in dry eye disease patients who request these lenses. Number five, continue dry eye disease treatment postoperatively. Not only is dry eye disease an important consideration preoperatively, but it is also a common complaint in the postoperative period. Dry eye disease can worsen after surgery for many reasons, including toxicity from topical postoperative drops, diminished corneal sensitivity due to limbal relaxing incisions, and increased corneal staining in patients undergoing laser cataract surgery compared to standard phaco emulsification. These factors can tip asymptomatic patients into symptomatic patients, which may affect their satisfaction after surgery. By starting a long-term regimen of dry eye disease therapy with the basics and prescription drops postoperatively, you're better positioned to avoid dissatisfaction in the postoperative period. Thanks, Dr. Brissett. And finally in this episode, Richard A. Adler, MD, FACS, from Belcara Health and Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at Wilmer Eye Institute, shares with us five pearls to optimizing technique, communication, and practice philosophy with intense pulsed light therapy for dry eye disease. The use of intense pulsed light in eye care continues to evolve. What began as an anecdote in the hands of a few has evolved into peer-reviewed empirical science in the hands of many. IPL now stands alongside traditional treatment options for ocular surface disease and was included as part of the Tear Film and Ocular Surface Society's Dry Eye Workshop 2 treatment algorithm in 2017. The use of IPL for the treatment of dry eye disease remains an off-label application in the United States. However, it has approval for this indication in several other countries. Treatment applications for dry eye disease occur only to the skin around the eye, so this aligns nicely with the FDA clearance of IPL for treating inflammatory skin conditions. Now practitioners of IPL anticipate the next evolutionary stage, when the therapeutic procedure evolves from successful science into successful business. Many physicians have bought into the technology and the data, and now they are ready to buy into the success. This article highlights five keys to optimize clinical and financial success with IPL. Number one, remember why you purchased IPL. With so many treatment options already available for the management of dry eye disease, the decision to invest in a device must include three considerations, efficacy, economics, and efficiency. A failure to fulfill any of these three E's will likely result in a failure in your office. From the perspective of efficacy, the ability of IPL to treat the upstream inflammatory basis of ocular surface disease and dry eye disease sets it apart from other device options on the market that instead treat the downstream consequences such as meibomian gland inspissation. Furthermore, 
the anti-inflammatory mechanism of action makes IPL treatment relevant to both aqueous deficient and evaporative dry eye disease. Mybomine gland dysfunction and rosacea are certainly sufficient to recommend IPL, but they are not necessary. Furthermore, there are anecdotal reports of IPL's efficacy in treating chalazia, and a recent publication showed, with real-time video, IPL's ability to eradicate demodex in vitro. Number two, adjust your practice's philosophy. Do your practice's doctors see dry eye disease as an obstacle or an opportunity? This is a key question. If the answer is the former, you can expect mediocre success. Most patients in your practice have risk factors for a dry eye, and with more than 33 million Americans diagnosed with dry eye disease, if the opportunity isn't obvious, you are willfully ignoring it. And this lies the economic side of investing in the IPL device. An unsatisfied dry eye disease patient is an unmet opportunity. Whether you are managing a chronically treated dry eye disease patient who has not responded to traditional treatments or a newly diagnosed dry eye disease patient who reports a dislike for drops, IPL must come to mind. With every cataract, we at least consider its readiness for surgery. Likewise, with every dry eye disease patient, we must at least consider the opportunity for IPL. And all members of the practice must participate in this consideration, not just whoever is the dry eye disease champion. Everybody in the practice does not have to perform IPL, but everybody should have knowledge and awareness of it. Number three, what you say counts as much as what you do. When implementation of IPL fails to reach its full potential, doctors are often quick to blame a deficiency in the technology, a reluctance on the part of patients, or even a lack of attention from the manufacturer. But as one would expect, rarely do doctors look toward themselves or their practice for an explanation. If they did, they would likely realize that the greatest missed opportunity was the opportunity to communicate better with their patients. With IPL, doctors have three chances to say the right thing, before treatment, during treatment, and after treatment. IPL affords doctor a rare five to 10 minutes of hands-on treatment time that drugs and drops do not. That together time can go a long way towards strengthening the doctor-patient relationship and the patient's experience overall. How does the doctor introduce the concept of IPL? What about the concept of a cash pay service for dry eye disease? What does the doctor say during the procedure? How does the doctor respond afterward to the satisfied as well as the dissatisfied patient? The words used during these moments are crucial in achieving patient satisfaction. Setting expectations and delivering reassurance are essential components before, during, and after treatment. Good outcomes can go bad and bad outcomes can go worse when the wrong words are used with the right treatment. Number four, revise your treatment technique. This key point deals with the third E, efficiency. For most doctors, initial training on IPL generally consisted of learning the lower tragus to tragus technique pioneered by Dr. Rolando Toyos. This technique involves using a large light guide tip and adhesive ocular shields. It consists of making two passes of light applications at preset parameters determined in part by skin type. This technique achieves excellent results, but occasionally doctors may seek to enhance their clinical outcomes through technique modifications. 
An easy adjustment involves treating not only the lower lids but the upper lids as well. After all, the pathophysiologic basis behind ocular surface disease is the same for all four eyelids. Why treat only half of them? This modification can be accomplished safely with the use of corneal shields, which permit safe application of the light to both lids of each eye. The Optima IPL is one IPL system that permits the user to switch the larger light guide tip for a smaller one, allowing a more focused application to areas just proximal to the lid margins of both the upper and lower lids. Number five, discover marketing opportunities. Let's go back to the second E, economics. It comes as a surprise to many doctors that the best marketing strategy for IPL is simply the awareness that the patients are already there. Even if doctors make no additional marketing efforts, dry eye disease patients show up at the office. The question is, do doctors recognize the opportunity? Every dry eye disease patient must be considered a possible candidate for IPL whether at the beginning or end of the dry eye disease algorithm. Routine is one of the greatest impediments to progress. Because of dry eye disease's uniquely high prevalence, the easily formed habits of physicians and physicians' fear of added inefficiencies, a routinized approach can stifle active dry eye disease management. Every patient is a marketing opportunity. Mrs. Smith, you have dry eye. Would you be interested in a drug-free, drop-free treatment? That's it. Simplicity sells and keeps the marketing budget down too. Although these five tips are meant to help you improve your medical and financial results with IPL, some readers will undoubtedly still question whether their patient population will elect a non-covered cash pay dry eye disease service. My patients just aren't going to spend this kind of money on dry eye is the mantra of IPL skeptics. Believe it or not, the skeptics are right. Not all patients can afford a $1,200 dry eye disease treatment. However, IPL is not for all of your patients. It's for some. Premium cataract lens options are not for all patients either, but we still offer them. A successful service does not have to be for all for it to be a success for you. With Medicare reimbursement for cataract surgery lower than it's ever been, the idea of an in-office procedure that generates more revenue then bilateral routine cataract surgery is at least worthy of consideration. IPL was once one of the great secrets in eye care, but it need no longer be. The evolution of IPL continues from secret to science to success. So we made it through another episode. Until next month, thanks for tuning in.